Uh, welcome back, Fight Fans, to episode number 191A, the review show for the week of October 12th of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. And of course, the new issue of Boxing Monthly is out. Great feature about uh, Demons of Doubt is the name of this uh, piece on the rematch between Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz Jr. Awesome stuff. And of course, History's Greatest Heavyweight Punchers. I think that's a really cool feature in the latest issue of Boxing Monthly. So make sure you guys check that out. A lot to talk about this week. Um, I will be heading to Chicago. Chicago. Uh, Wednesday morning at the crack of dawn. I got like a 6 a.m. flight up to Chicago. And I'll be covering that Usyk Spawn card. So I'll be up there for Ring TV covering that card. Ring Magazine, Ring TV. So uh, any of my peeps up in Chicago, if you want to get up, we will be up there, Tiffany and I. Chicago! Uh, So uh, yeah, I'll be working a lot, but... We want to make sure that we uh, hang out, have some drinks. Tiffany is... Tiffany, okay, Tiffany just poked her head in here in my office. She is asking any Chicago peeps. She wants a real Chicago blues club, a Chicago jazz club. So she wants the real shit, the real old school blues jazz, you know, that Chicago blues club. So any of my Chicago peeps that are up there, hit me up and let me know where we can get some real... Old school Chicago blues. All right? Let me know, guys. Anyway, um, okay, I need you guys to do something for me because YouTube loves to change the algorithms and people are not getting all the notifications for these videos. So the best thing you could do is share my video. Share this freaking video on your social. And if you listen later to the podcast on iTunes or wherever it is, share this video episode of the podcast okay a couple of you guys joined the patreon team last week thank you so so much a bunch of you guys have been helping out on patreon and of course helping out here on super chat on the live youtube videos and picking up some mob t-shirts we are all sold out of extra large mob t-shirts right now we are sold out of mediums we're sold out of triple extra large we still have some larges and some double XLs and some female sizes. So uh, we're about to sell out of these things. We're going to have to re-up for the new year. Maybe we'll make some new designs or something. So anyway, guys, all that we put back into uh, MOB, uh, building the studio. In fact, um, I think I was, you know, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about this here on the, the show because some of you guys just want to hear boxing, boxing, boxing. But, um, you know, with all this traveling, I kind of had to, you know, take a break on it. But... When I get back from Chicago, I'm going to put the ceiling on and finish the ceiling in my studio. So exciting things happening here, guys, and I'll be able to show you all that stuff as we continue. Uh, so yes, share this video because the YouTube algorithm is effed and they just love screwing with the little guy. I don't know what's up. If you do clickbait bullshit, race baiting, clickbaiting politics and all that stuff... They put you at the top of the list, but if you shoot down the middle and be objective and, and be critical of everybody, eh, they bury you down the list. So share this damn video, all right? Let's get into some quick news and notes, and then we're going to review what took place last week. We're going to do a detailed review on the golovkin Derevyanchenko fight, obviously, because uh, it's become very polarizing on social, which is not surprising. Golovkin has turned into one of those polarizing figures in the sport. Uh, some of it is his fault. A lot of it is not his fault, but we'll get into that later. Detailed, detailed review, okay? Before, quick news items. Charlie Edwards, former WBC flyweight titleist, vacates his belt. If that name rings a bell, 
Uh, you guys remember August 31st, he had a no contest against Julio Cesar Martinez. Martinez actually whooped his ass, just thoroughly beat the shit out of him and knocked him down and pretty much knocked him out with a body shot. But like an idiot, while Edwards was down, he hit him hard while he was down. He was lucky to get away with a no contest. It could have been a disqualification loss for Martinez because I thought it was on purpose. I thought it was clearly on purpose, not accidental. But WBC did a good thing by declaring a no contest. But, you know, hey, if, if the demographics were reversed, I don't know. Mauricio might have called this a disqualification. Anyway, uh, there was a mandatory rematch that was going to happen between these two, right? Charlie Edwards wanted none of that shit. So he vacates the title. Martinez is going to end up fighting for the vacant title against somebody else. Charlie Edwards apparently is going to move up and wait. So there's that. Let's get into this whole weigh-in chaos with the Clarissa Shields, uh, Ivana Habazine thing that took place in Michigan uh, last week on Friday. So as I'm driving up north to go see my sister for her wedding this weekend, as I'm in the car driving up there, a few of my friends up in Detroit, my hometown, who were at that event covering it for media. My friend Scotty Buck was up there. He was hitting me up. A few of you guys were. And all hell broke loose, right? And in the end, James Ali Bashir, who is Abazine's trainer, ends up in a hospital with broken bones in his face, had to get surgery, was knocked unconscious. So details are still sketchy. And the promoter, Dimitri Salida, hasn't exactly been... Uh, coming out with a lot of um, statements, clearing everything up. I guess he's leaving it up to the authorities there in Michigan, I think uh, in Flint, where, uh, where Clarissa Shields is from, and this event was going to take place. I, maybe a couple hours uh, north of Detroit, or uh, what am I saying? Northwest of Detroit. Um, so pretty much close to Detroit. Anyway, uh, the police there apparently have arrested a person so James Ali Bashir got into a verbal altercation with, from, how, from what I understand, Clarissa Shields' sister, or a, a female in her team. I, I, I'm not I was exactly sure. And uh, they were jawing back and forth. Now, how did that altercation start? Why did it start? I have a good idea why, because I've been told by people who were there before the weigh-in that saw some shenanigans taking place that James Ali Bashir was not happy with because he felt some of the rules were being broken on Shield's side. I won't go into detail on that on the record because the sources I have made me promise I wouldn't. I've been begging them to go public with it. Hopefully they will. But I don't know if any of this will come out in the end or not. But Bashir was going back and forth with somebody on Shield's team pretty much throughout the whole damn way in. And it got pretty heated. He said some nasty shit. See, she said some nasty shit. In the end, a dude, apparently it was a male, came up behind Bashir, punched him literally in the back of the head, knocked him clean out. Again, this is an elderly man getting hit by a young man in the back of the head with a punch he didn't see. Knocks him unconscious. He takes a nasty spill to the ground. His face literally smashes into the concrete, the hard ground. Uh, blood was everywhere. Ivan Habazin, it was uh, understandably upset beside herself. And um, it, it was, I've seen pictures. I mean, there's a lot of pictures, again, that friends of mine sent me that were there 
that have not gone public. They decided not to release them because they were so graphic and they didn't want to upset the promoter uh, and Shields team. I'll talk more about that in a second. But I saw some pictures from people's cell phones that were literally right there as it happened. It was really, really nasty. One of the nastier things I've seen, and this is boxing. This isn't a fluffy, everybody feel good, lovey dubby bullshit type of sport. We see all kinds of crazy shit all the time, right? Now, a lot of times it's played up for the camera. There was barely any real big cameras around for this event. It was pretty much a local thing. And this was not played up for the cameras. This was a thug acting like a fucking thug. This was an idiot with a ghetto mentality doing what people with those mentalities do. Now, I say that as a guy who grew up in Michigan, in that area, around that thing. And I used to have that kind of mentality. So did my cousins and my friends that I grew up around. A lot of them aren't with us anymore. A lot of them are dead or in jail now. And I don't associate with a lot of those guys before because as I got older and started to want more out of my life and wanted to succeed more, I distanced myself from some of those people because they pulled stunts like that. And I would be embarrassed because that shit brought um, nastiness and dirt on my name because I was associated with them. It's up to Clarissa Shields to determine if she wants to start separating herself from some of these people. Because this is not the first incident that she has been uh, attached to in some way with a sucker punch. Remember, good job, Unc. Leon Lawson, uh, her uncle, Clarissa Shields' uncle, sucker punched Jose the guy after the, his fight with Darrell. And he got banned from, I can't remember what commission it was. He was arrested. Ultimately, I think the charges were dropped. But it was a nasty scene. Then that actually did play out on camera. And, she, and Clarissa Shields defended her uncle and said, uh, literally, good job, Unc. She said that on social media, defending his actions. And now in the, in the chaos that followed this incident last Friday... Uh, there was an interview, or I think it's just a post on Clarissa Shields' social. I don't know if it was Snapchat or Instagram or whatever it was. I think it was a live video where in the immediate aftermath, she was not really showing a lot of concern for her. I, I understand her not showing much concern for her opponent because that's your opponent. I get it. You're dialed in. You're in fight mode. I get that. But a complete lack of concern um, or I don't want to say remorse, uh, care, just human care for James Ali Bashir. I think she said something to the effect that I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, um, Hey, Abazine's uh, nickname is no excuses. There should be no excuses why we don't have our fight. She could fly in another trainer. I'm sorry her trainer's hurt, but she could fly in another trainer and still fight. You know, unfortunately, because of all this craziness, she didn't even weigh in. She doesn't even have to weigh in. So she gets to come in heavy, and I had to weigh in. Just stuff like that. And it just comes off like she just doesn't give a shit, and she's not that good of a person. Now, I should add, subsequent to that, there were other social media posts, I think um, videos and interviews and such, where she did show concern for James Ali Bashir. And she did state, you know, I, I get it now. I understand why Ivana Abbasine didn't want to go through with the fight. I get it now. Her, her trainer was in really bad shape. Now, is that because someone coached her to do that? Or is that because she wised up after a couple of days? I can't know for certain. 
Neither can you guys. We can only speculate. But there does seem to be a pattern of behavior here. I know, think about it this way. <clears throat> think about it this way. James Ali Bashir is the age of your grand, a lot of you guys, your grandfather, right? If somebody sucker punched your grandfather in the back of the head, even if your grandfather was being a dick and saying some really messed up shit to them, how would you feel? How would you feel about just that taking place? Now, what if it was a friend of yours or an associate or possibly a family member? Because it's rumored to be that this was one of Clarissa's brothers who did this. That has not been confirmed yet. But according to ABC 12, which is a Flint ABC news affiliate, they claim it was her brother, Jaquel Artis Mack. That has not been confirmed. We have heard nothing from Dimitri Salida. There's been no confirmation. So we have, I have to make sure I say that. It's allegedly a family member. But if, you, if your family member or friend or an associate, even somebody that is part of your group of associates, a friend of a friend that hangs around at parties and stuff that you go to, did something like that to an old man, it'd probably embarrass the shit out of you, right? And you'd immediately be calling that person out. That's not taking place here. So I also saw this. There were people posting and tweeting about this incident on social media. And they were being bullied. Sometimes directly by the Shields team. Being bullied and threatened with lawsuits and all this. To remove their social media posts. Whether it be an article, a tweet, whatever. I posted a tweet that immediately had a, you know, a couple hundred likes. It, it took off. It was posted in several social media uh, chat rooms and stuff like that. It wasn't just viral on Twitter. It was all over Facebook. And I ended up taking that tweet down because I started to get harassed. You're either going to get harassed by Team Shields or by this PC, hashtag me too, uh, politically correct lynch mob that does not allow you to be critical of certain athletes without some sort of uh, agenda thrown in. Unless you're singing someone's praises, if you say anything remotely critical, you get pounced on with this lynch mob. And I started to see that happening to other people. I started to see a trickle of it head my way, and I said, fuck this. I deleted my tweet because I wanted none of it, even though I knew what I tweeted was correct factually because of the people I know who were at the freaking event when it happened live. I removed my damn tweet. I just, you just can't even talk about this. By the way, uh, quick, I got to say thank you very, very much to Henry Ford, who was in with this super chat. Thank you. Hey, Henry Ford, great museum. I love the Henry Ford Museum. I don't know if you're a Michigan guy posting this, but dude, thank you for the super chat. And he says uh, Canelo stripped because he didn't fight the mandatory Derevianchenko. Yes, we'll talk about that later. Sergey Derevianchenko, actually Doug Fisher wrote a very good tiny little article in this issue, latest issue of Ring Magazine talking about the IBF. Like, dude, they must love Sergey Derevianchenko. They've stripped Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez on behalf, behalf of Derevianchenko uh, in a calendar year. They must really love that dude. Anyway, we'll get to that later. Thank you very, very much, Henry Ford. I appreciate it, man. Uh, okay, so back to Clarissa Shields. And I don't want to beat up on Clarissa Shields. And by the way, I need to include this. I need to make sure I include this because this is totally fair. Guys, Clarissa Shields didn't throw the damn punch. So for those of you saying, and I've seen these posts too, this stuff goes in both directions. The craziness goes in both directions, okay? 
there's a lot of hyperbole against Clarissa Shields. She didn't throw the damn punch. Now, should she be calling out who did? Should she be separating herself from those individuals and not letting them go to her public events? Yeah, but she didn't throw it, okay? So even if it was her brother that threw the, and again, hasn't been confirmed, she didn't throw the punch. So let's be clear about that, okay? Um, So she shouldn't be banned. She shouldn't get in any trouble, anything like that. Anyone, whoever did it should be, obviously. But let's not be too harsh on Claressa Shields herself. She didn't throw the damn punch. Some of the posts I'm seeing beating up on Clarissa are too much, okay? So she deserves some criticism for the way she handled these things and the way she's spoken about these things and allowed some of these characters to hang around her. Yes, that, that's legitimate. But also, let's keep this shit in perspective. She didn't throw the damn punch. All that being said, my advice, and this is unsolicited, they don't give a damn about what my opinion is, I get it, but my advice for Team Clarissa Shields is there's a PR machine around her trying to clean her up and trying to make her this hero and this good girl image. It ain't working. It's not going to work. She just had a fight. It was her first fight at junior middleweight. She was going to, quote unquote, make history. First female fighter, I think, to win titles in three weight classes and all this good stuff. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong on that, guys, but I believe that was the situation. This was a fight for two vacant junior middleweight titles. And outside of Michigan, nobody gave a shit. She's not transcending. There's social justice warriors pushing her and promoting her on Twitter and doing puff pieces on news affiliates around the country and stuff like that whenever she fights there. Yes, they're not buying tickets to her damn fights, okay? I'm not saying that to beat up on the girl. I'm just saying this marketing strategy that they're trying to do, it's not working. My advice, let her turn heel. Let her be a female Floyd Mayweather. She doesn't knock girls out. She's not very exciting because she's not, she's, she was at first in her earlier in her career, um, kind of a weight bully, right? She used her physicality to beat girls. She is developing her skill set. She's becoming a pretty damn good boxer. I think she's one of the top five female boxers in the world right now, pound for pound. But she's never going to fill stadiums because of her fighting style, because she's not drilling girls and knocking them out. She's not an Ann Wolf. She, that she is not. She's, not. she's not a Lucia Riker. She's not that type of fighter. She is uh, a stylist that's going to outbox her opponents. The way she can fill stadiums and become a big attraction is to turn heel. Let Clarissa go. Stop trying to pull her back. Stop trying to manicure her and get her to try to do this goody two-shoes thing. It ain't working. That's not her. Let her turn full heel and be the female Floyd Mayweather and just play the bad girl. Let her play the bad girl. She does that, watch her ticket sales double and triple. They won't do it because there's a political agenda behind what they're doing. But part of the reason she's not breaking through, yeah, female fighting does have something to do with it because it's not as exciting. Yeah, yeah, there's a, a lack of talent that she's, she's maybe fought one top 10 level opponent in her career. I get all that. But the real reason she's not breaking through is because there's major dissonance between the way she's being packaged and promoted and what she really is. Let her go, man. Let her be herself. Let her turn heel and be nasty and be a bad girl. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm just saying let her be her. Stop trying to control her and um, 
truncate her personality. Let her just come out and be who she is. Because most people that bought Floyd Mayweather fights, and mind you, she's never going to be Floyd Mayweather. I'm not trying to suggest that. But Floyd Mayweather, another Michigan guy, not very exciting in the ring, did knock people out. He figured it out along the way that it was his personality that was going to sell fights. Casual fans that bought Floyd Mayweather's fights bought them on pay-per-view, not because they knew what the hell they were buying, not because they thought it was a great value, not because they knew anything about the opponent he was fighting 90% of the time. It's because they wanted to see Floyd lose. They wanted to see this bully get shut up. They wanted to see this loudmouth get served, get his comeuppance. If they marketed Clarissa Shields that way, boy, I'm telling you, she would double and triple her ticket sales. That's the way to market Clarissa Shields. This goody two-shoes shit ain't working. Um, Okay, so I talked about bullying on Twitter and getting people to shut up. Sticking with that real quick. Quick rant until we get into the fight reviews, guys. Uh, I had some Twitter tough guys come at me this weekend. This happens every fucking day. I deal with these people every day. Uh, I understand why you guys tag me on this stuff because you're looking out for me. So I understand it and I appreciate the gesture. You know what I'm saying? I do. 99% of the time, I ignore this stuff. But I had a couple of tweets this weekend talking about Gennady Golovkin and high-altitude training for extended periods of time. And I tweeted about the fact that I've been against that, and I said it was a mistake for Golovkin for a while now, for a couple years, two, three years now. I never said it's because I'm an expert in the field or anything like that, but of course, people took my tweet and added their own context to it which is what haters and detractors do. These are insecure pieces of shit who are failures at life, who see somebody having some some success and winning at life, and they got to beat up on that a little bit. So they add their own context to what I said. Let me me state for the record, and you guys who watch my show already know this, but some of you watching or listening might be new to my show. Never once did I say I was an expert in the field of strength and conditioning or... or, um, just being a strength and conditioning coach, um, working in that industry. Okay, I'm not an expert. I'm a weekend warrior. I train a lot. I've done plenty of training in my life, and I've been an athlete in my youth and everything. I do have some limited high-altitude training experience. As a former United States Marine, I've done plenty of running in the mountains with a ton of gear on my back and an M16. Uh, But that's it. I formulated my opinions by talking to experts in the field, strength and conditioning coaches, uh, people who run labs, uh, people who have biology degrees that work in the medical profession. My sister's a nurse. I have a cousin, his wife, biology degree, works in a lab, uh, and she's very much into fitness and studies this stuff. I've talked to trainers. I've talked to fighters. One fighter who recently... I. I think I could go on the record with his name because he wouldn't mind. I wrote about it in my piece that I did about him in Ring Magazine. Uh, Jamel Herring, him and his team, he works with the strength and conditioning folks that work with Terrence Crawford and some of the other top-ranked guys. They do not believe in doing high-altitude training for more than two or three weeks. Stephen Breadman Edwards, great trainer, great boxing mind, has talked about this on his Twitter, folks that he's talked with. Victor Conti, who runs Snack, who... uh, a very, very successful company that works with a lot of athletes, not just boxers. They know what they're talking about. He doesn't believe in it. He's been saying for years, Gennady Golovkin should not train for extended periods of time at high altitude. 
There's no 100% agreed upon consensus in this matter, but there are a lot of people, dare I say the majority, meaning more than half of the people I've spoken with, are against it, particularly for an aging athlete where rest and recovery becomes just as important, if not more important, than the actual training and workout itself. And that's where Gennady Golovkin is in his career. So for some of these Twitter tough guys to take my tweets and run with it and add their own context and go crazy, it just shows what insecure pieces of shit that they are. And there's a lot of things. One guy in particular, I know a lot about this dude in his personal life. I kind of pity the guy and feel bad for him. I've talked to his family members and his friends. He doesn't even know this. He's not even aware of the family members that talk shit behind his back. I've learned a lot about this dude that I could go with publicly and just ruin this fucking guy. But I'm not going to do that. I just ignore these people. So guys, I ask that, look, if somebody's saying Michael Montero has AIDS and you want to tag me in that conversation so that I could say, you know what, that's actually incorrect. I don't have AIDS. Something like that, fine. But if they're talking shit about me, just don't tag me in that shit. I don't want to see it. I block these people. I mute them. They're idiots. And here's another thing I've learned. Nothing I can say is going to appease them. I used to try to do that. I used to try to have a meeting of the minds. I used to try to meet in the middle somewhere. You know what I'm saying? To have this compromise. But with some of these people, they, they come into a situation with preconceived notions, with biases and prejudices. Some of it is based upon my look, my ethnicity, uh, the, the people that are friends of mine, you know, the people I run with, whatever it might be, publications I work with. They're going to add their own context based on all that shit. You know what I'm saying? Uh, before, before I even open my mouth. So I don't even try to reach these people. Anyway, that's the rant for the day. Now, uh, before I get into the uh, review, let's, let's see some of you guys' questions. Because I know you, you guys are sick of me ranting about this shit. I get it. I just had to get that off my chest, man. Some of these Twitter tough guys, they're real pieces of shit. Delita says, Montero has AIDS confirmed straight from the horse's mouth. Time to tweet. <laughs> you prick. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, someone's going to take that and like edit it and post it somewhere, it's going to be hilarious. Uh, uh, let's see. Gail Falkenthal says, The best weapon against a troll is silence. They want you to engage. Ignoring them is what they can't stand. Gail, I had to learn that the hard way. I'm a hard-headed idiot with certain things, you know? It's the Latin blood in me. I'm Eastern European, but I'm also Latin, right? My dad, that Italian and Spanish Sicilian blood in him, uh, makes me a hard-headed fuck. So I had to learn the hard way to just ignore these people. That drives them nuts. Are they going to keep talking about me? Are they going to keep tweeting shit about me? Of course they will. Are they going to make up things and take liberties with things I say and conflate things I did five years ago and try to make it seem like it was yesterday? Of course. That's what they're going to do. And they're going to get 10 retweets because there's going to a dozen or so people out there that follow them and agree with that shit. I don't care. I just try to ignore them. Let's see. Uh, SE29 says, Triple G versus Murata in February at the Dome. I assume you're saying the Tokyo Dome, 60,000 people. How realistic? Rialdo Murata is a very realistic possibility, my man. Um, will it happen next? Will it happen in February? I'm not so sure Gennady's going to be ready to fight in February. If he does fight that soon, 
I imagine it will be that mandatory fighter, that Polish fighter. I can't think of his name right now. His name escapes me. But he did inherit a mandatory with the IBF. And that might be the route they go with first. So, um, yes. Is Murata in the future? I believe so. I believe that they'll do business with top rank. They could still go over to the Tokyo Dome. That seat's about 60000 like you said. It'd still be the biggest event. Close. Maybe, maybe it's a number two now. I was going to say biggest event in Japanese boxing history, but now that Golovkin's lost, now that he's not coming in with all the hardware, now that Murata's lost before, I don't know if it's the biggest event anymore. Had they done that event a while ago when Golovkin had all the titles and everything, I think that would have been the biggest event in Japanese boxing history, but it's probably going to be a close second now to uh, Douglas Tyson. You know what I'm saying? But it's still going to be a massive event. It's going to happen. Uh, let's see. Let's see. A couple more questions. We'll get into this review. Uh, GP365 says, Mike, were you on the edge of your seat during the Triple G Chanko fight? Actually, you know, I, it was, I was at uh, a ceremony. Like, my sister had just got married, and then we had gone out to dinner. And then uh, we had come home. We were having some drinks. So we were all going to kind of go out to a bar and have some more drinks. But while we were at home kind of getting settled... Um, we were, and some people had to leave and go home and stuff. I turned on the fight. That's another thing I got to say, cool as hell about the zone. I was able to put the zone on my phone and blast it to my sister's TV, their big screen TV in the house. They don't have the zone, but I was able to blast it from my phone to their massive big screen TV. The stream was awesome. The picture was awesome. Can't do that shit with Showtime. Can't do, I guess you can with uh, ESPN plus if you have that app on your phone, but I'm telling you guys, these apps the way of the future. Uh, Rob Palmer says, Floyd got big numbers as he was number one in his sport the same way Tiger Woods and Roger Federer. Casuals always want to watch the best in any sport. Yeah, I think that's part of it, Rob. I mean, definitely. Uh, I don't know if he, he... At one point, he certainly was the best in the sport, but not, not all the time while he was getting all that big money. I think that uh, he certainly hadn't proved himself to be the best because he wasn't necessarily fighting the best. I mean, he fought... Robert Guerrero, Marcos Maidana twice, Victor Ortiz. He was fighting guys like that and charging 80 bucks a head. I don't know if that necessarily made him the best in the sport, but he was certainly the biggest attraction in the sport. And yes, casuals want to be around. I mean, most of the people that went to Floyd Mayweather fights weren't diehard fight fans. They were people who wanted to be seen at a big event, an important event in Las Vegas. Hey, look at me. I'm with this hot chick here, this prostitute that's costing me $8,000 for the night. And look at all this bling on in my fur coat. I'm going to take a selfie ringside. Hashtag Mayweather Maidana 2, the fight to change boxing, right? That's, that's who was at his fights. Uh, but there were a lot of diehard fans, of course, that bought. Because diehard fans buy everything. But diehard fans buy every fight. But the casuals tune in because of the way Floyd marketed himself. Casuals didn't know who the fuck Floyd Mayweather was until he fought Arturo Gatti. Ricky Hatton brought in a lot of British fans. And then, of course, against Oscar De La Hoya. The fights against Gatti, which he was the B-side against Gatti. And then, of course, he was the B-side against De La Hoya. You can even make an argument he was maybe A-minus to to Ricky Hatton being A-plus in terms of global impact. Uh, Globally, you can make the argument he was A-minus to Manny Pacquiao. But 
the truth is all those fights built him up and he built himself up as the bad guy. And every time he beat somebody like that, a big name as the bad guy, it drove a lot of people nuts. And he also fed off the media and used the media and particularly social media to build himself up. He didn't try to play the good guy. He said, fuck that. I'm going to be the bad guy. I'm going to go ahead and market myself this way because that will get people to watch. They're not going to watch because my fights are exciting. They're not going to watch because I'm fighting good fighters. They're going to watch because of the way I'm marketing myself. I think they need to do the same damn thing with Clarissa Shields. She's never going to be a pay-per-view star, but she's going to get a lot more people paying attention to her if she goes full heel, man. Develop a WWE-type character for Clarissa Shields. Change her nickname and go that route. That, that's, my, that's my suggestion. I, anyway. Uh, John Gary Navita asks, isn't Murata with Top Rake? Yes, but Grandpa Bob does do business with other promoters with certain fighters. And I think with Murata, they absolutely would do business and come over to the zone. They did a fight on the zone between Ramirez and Hooker, right? So it's a calculated decision. Um, calculated risk, I should say, but it'd be big time business. It'd be the biggest fight Murata could get where he'd be competitive. Let's face it. If Murata fought Canelo, he'd get the brakes beat off of him. If he, if he moved up to 68 and fought some of those top guys, he'd lose badly. At this stage of Golovkin's career, I favor Golovkin to beat Murata, but it'd be a competitive fight at this stage, guys. It really, really would. So I can absolutely see that fight happening. Vlad Valor asked, Mike, don't you feel like we lack something big in boxing? A lot of good fights, but nothing super exciting. I hear you. This is more a year for diehards. But dude, look, Spence Porter was a damn good fight. Top 10 in terms of fight of the year for 2019. Golovkin Derevyanchenko for me was even better because it was fought with slightly better skill. And... Maybe it didn't have the same crescendo you had it in Spence Porter because Porter got dropped late. Derevyanchenko got dropped early. So the ebb and flow may have been different. But to me, it was a much closer fight than Spence Porter. I thought Spence won seven or eight rounds against Porter. I know a lot of you guys disagree with that. Go back and watch the fight. For what everything Porter accomplished, I thought Derevyanchenko did better against Golovkin because his work was cleaner than Porter's. His work mattered more. And he actually hurt Golovkin a couple times to the body. Not upstairs. You're not gonna you're not gonna hurt Golovkin upstairs. But he hurt him to the body. And that's something Canelo couldn't do. That's another thing. I tweeted during the fight in the eleventh, like right before the eleventh round, I tweeted um Derevyanchenko's had more success in ten rounds against Golovkin than Canelo did in twenty four rounds. And of course, Twitter tough guys took that and, you know, sent back punch stats. Look at this. I wasn't talking literally punch for punch, you fucktards. I was talking about hard punches that hurt Gennady and moved him back and made him keel over. Canelo didn't budge Golovkin once. Neither did Jacobs. They landed flush punches and Golovkin laughed and kept moving forward. Derevyanchenko landed punches that made Golovkin keel over and suck air. That visibly hurt him. Not once, but multiple times. So, yes, in terms of punches that hurt Gennady, backed him up. Yes, Derevyanchenko accomplished more in one fight than Canelo did in two fights. Now, I'll stand by that statement. I ain't going to blank when I say that shit. All right. 
Let's get into fight review. So that Showtime card in Flint still went on Saturday. Clarissa Shields did not fight Ivana Habazin. But Jaron Ennis, Jaron Ennis approved a 24-0 with 22 knockouts. The Philadelphia welterweight prospect scores a, uh, a knockdown in the third round and then TKO win in the third round over an Argentinian fighter with a dog shit resume. No disrespect to him, but Damian Daniel Fernandez did not belong in the ring with Jaron Ennis. Jermaine Franklin, heavyweight out of Michigan, went the distance with Pavel Sor, a Czech fighter who's fought one other welterweight prospect, Philip Hergovich, who destroyed him in one round in 2017. So that tells you the levels, guys. Jermaine Franklin is nothing to get excited about. As soon as he steps up, he's going to get beat, and he's going to get beat badly. He's going to get knocked the fuck out. That's what I see with Jermaine Franklin. There are levels to this shit. He's a level or two below Philip Hergovich, who's a level below Daniel Dubois. All right? There it is. Now, Madison Square Garden, New York City. Let's go to the undercard real quick. Israel Madramov improved to 4 0 with three knockouts. Use Becky. Uh, looks really good. Junior middleweight. TKO5 over Mexican veteran Alejandro Barrera. Look, a lot of people shit on this fight. This was Madramov's fourth pro fight. They've reached out to top junior middleweight contenders and been rejected they're trying to get top guys Barrera from Mexico has fought Carlos Adamas Errol Spence other top fighters he's a good I'm not gonna say good he's an experienced veteran and Madrimov destroyed this fucking guy I don't know what you want from someone in their fourth fight I thought he stole the show I thought he had the performance of the night Ivan Baranchek coming off that first career loss to Josh Taylor Scores a TKO4 win over Gabriel Bracero, a Puerto Rican native now who lives in Brooklyn. So Baranchek is still a top 10 super lightweight. Still a top 10 at 140 pounds. And it gives anybody in that division a hard night's work. Ali Akhmadov improved a 16-0 super middleweight prospect that Triple G has uh, signed to his promotional company. TKO1 win over Andrew Hernandez out of Phoenix. So here's another guy who, not very good. Obviously, Akhmadov just blew this guy out of the water. But this dude fought Caleb Plant and went the distance. This guy, he did get knocked out by Jesse Hart, but he's fought some guys. He had some experience. And for the record, because I saw Tom Loeffler talk about this, um, they tried to get Rocky Fielding for that fight. Ali Akhmadov was willing to fight Rocky Fielding. Rocky Fielding, not available. They were willing to fight Martin Murray, Martin Murray, not available. So they were trying to get that level of opposition. Now, Rocky Fielding, Martin Murray, are they top 10 super middleweights right now? No, they're not. But they're top 15. They're right under the bubble there at, of the top 10. So for a guy in a 16th pro fight, trying to find an opponent that, at that level, they're clearly confident in this guy. They're just being rejected. They're having trouble finding opponents. Now, they're going to have to up the pay scale. Triple G promotions, they're going to have to up the money to get somebody to fight this dude. But he's ready to contend. Uh, pro debut for Joe Ward, Irish Olympian, 2016 Olympics, um, loses his pro debut due to a knee injury. So uh, tough break for him, man. We've seen two decorated amateurs lose their pro debut this year. And that goes back to what one of you guys was saying earlier in the chat about this not being an exciting year. It's not an exciting year in terms of the big, big fights happening, the big, big matchups. But guys, we've had all kinds of crazy stories this year. We've had crazy upset specials. 
we've seen uh, very interesting rivalries starting to take place. And we've seen some new faces rise up. We've seen consolidation at a couple of divisions, or at least we're going to see through the, through the fourth quarter of this year. And we saw two decorated amateurs lose their pro debut. When is the last time that you guys saw a decorated Cuban go pro, think of the Cubans and their legacy in the amateurs, and lose their pro debut? You've probably never seen that. I don't think we've seen it. And then this kid from Ireland who was not supposed to come to New York Irish people, New York City, do the math. He was not supposed to come there and lose this fight. Freak incident, I get it. But we're seeing some shit this year. There's plenty to talk about, all right? Now, I'm, I'm with you. Nothing major. We're not getting, you know, Wilder, Joshua, and those sorts of fights. But we're getting some crazy shit happening in 2019. Speaking of crazy shit, let's talk about this fight. Gennady Golovkin, Sergei Derevyanchenko. Golovkin wins unanimous decision, which was controversial to a lot of people. Scores a knockdown in the first round. Cuts Derevyanchenko from a punch. Clearly from a punch, despite what the DAZN commentary crew kept trying to sell you. I don't know why they kept talking about a headbutt. It was clearly from a punch. Anyway, scores 115-112 twice. That means seven rounds to five. And 114-113 once. That means six rounds to six. I found it interesting. All three judges gave Golovkin the 12th round. I felt that Golovkin had a few clear rounds that were clearly his round. Sergei Derevyanchenko had one or two clear rounds that were his round, but there were virtually eight swing rounds in his fight. Eight swing rounds. And if you looked at media scoring, as as how they scored it round by round in the three official scorecards, People were all over the damn place. There were only a few rounds. Like, you know, of course, the first round was one of them. I think maybe the fourth, seventh, and twelfth, where there was a general consensus over who won. But virtually every other round, people were all over the damn place. Okay? Now, watching this live, I scored it even in terms of rounds. I scored it six rounds apiece. I had a 114-113 for Golovkin. However, and I tweeted this, it was a close fight. That could have went either way. It really, really could have. And if you had Derevyanchenko winning, I ain't mad at you one bit. For the record, Lou DiBella, who promotes Sergei Derevyanchenko, said, of course, he feels his fighter won, which is understandable. But he, clear, he said, he was asked, was this a robbery? Was this a robbery? And he made it very clear. I've seen robberies. This was not a robbery. So when Lou DiBella and Sergei Derevyanchenko said the same thing in interviews too, they said this was not a robbery. But they feel that they won. And of course, they want a rematch and deserve it. And I tweeted about that too. Run this shit back. It was a good fight. I felt it was a top five fight of the year. I thought it was every bit as good as Spence Porter, only with better skill. And I thought, why not run this shit back? Now, people were saying that Golovkin was sick. I know Eddie Hearn said that he was sick. Maybe that had something to do with this and he didn't look really good. I, look, if he had the flu or something, so what? Did, did that really make that much of a difference in the fight? I don't know. To me, what makes the most difference, and again, this includes the high altitude stuff that I think is wearing Golovkin down a little bit. What's really worn him down, guys, is his fucking age. He's 37. And although he lives a clean lifestyle outside the ring, this is a guy who fought over 300 amateur fights. For, for some reason, a lot of fans and Amateur, casual media types, they, they undermine and, and undervalue amateur work. 
dude, over 300 amateur fights. And I'm not talking little tournaments in, in his little town in Kazakhstan, his little village. This dude was traveling as a kid to tournaments regionally all over outside of Kazakhstan. As a kid, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old, fighting in tournaments regularly. I'm not talking about one tournament a year, two tournaments in, in a year. I'm talking about every other month, this kid's fighting in big tournaments uh, with high level of opposition, global opposition. I think he fought in like a lot of high level junior amateur tournaments before getting into the adult level stuff. So that shit took a toll, okay? Think about it this way. He's 37 years old. He's been fighting since he was a teenager, 14, 15 years old. So well over 20 years, 22 years. This guy's basically been a full-time athlete and not just an athlete, but a fighter. This ain't basketball. This ain't even football where you get a timeout, a halftime. There's a second, a third string, and you get a helmet and pads. This is fucking boxing. This dude's been doing this shit since before he was old enough to drive a car in this country. Think about that, okay? So his body is just slowing down a little bit, right? And yeah, so LC just made a great comment. 37 and has taken Vada. Virtually everybody who's not a, an idiot Golovkin detractor who's got some sort of you know, agenda believes Golovkin's a clean athlete. He's been doing Vada since uh, the Lemieux fight, I think. And that goes back to what, 2015? So he's never failed a drug test. And that goes back to his amateur days. He was in the Olympics. This guy's had tons of needles stuck in him since he was a fucking teenager. He's pissed in a ton of little cups <laughs> since he was a teenager. He has never failed a drug test. He's breaking down and slowing down the way a natural athlete is supposed to. That's what this is about. Father time's undefeated. You look at the first Canelo fight, you look at the second Canelo fight, and you see the difference in performance. Now, Canelo deserves some credit for that because he fought better in the rematch. But clearly now, 2020 hindsight, we didn't necessarily know it at the time. But looking at Glovkin's last few fights, particularly this fight with Derevyanchenko, who's maybe the fifth, sixth best middleweight in the world. He didn't look very good in this fight. This is not the guy that was blowing through the division in 2013, 2014. And I get it. You guys, detractors will say, well, he's fighting better opposition now. That is true. He is fighting better opposition now. However, he's also 37 years old. So which is it? It's probably a little bit of both. I think the, the fact that these fights are going the distance versus him knocking these guys out, I think that's due to them being better fighters. But him not looking as strong and as powerful and as fast, him not throwing in combination, him not going down to the body like he used to, him not having the same punch resistance, at least downstairs, that he showed in the past. I think all that is a product of age more than the level of fighter he's facing, right? So you're not going to just start throwing less punches because you're fighting a better opponent unless they're a defensive specialist and they take that away from you. That's not Derevyanchenko's style. That's not Canelo's style. You know what I'm saying? Certainly in the rematch, that's not the way Canelo fought Golovkin. So I, guys, the evidence is there now. Clearly, Golovkin's lost a step. What did I tell you guys last week? I told you that this fight with Derevyanchenko was a barometer for Triple G to see where he's at right now. And it'd go one of two ways. 
either either start competitive with Golovkin taking over in the middle rounds and dominating down the stretch, whether he got a late stoppage or a decision win, or it'd be a tough, close fight with people bitching about the decision. And we got the latter. So that tells me right now, Golovkin's not done as an elite level fighter until he loses, but he's not the guy he was a few years ago. And I, okay, scoring a fight, there are four categories. Punching, effective aggression, ring generalship, defense. Now we could go back and forth on who won in this fight, the categories. But people are making it seem like they're looking at the punch numbers and they're saying that Derevyanchenko dominated the punching category. Well, not so fast. Not so fast. There are basically three punching categories. Jabs, which jabs are basically to the head. You can jab to the body, but most of the jabs go to the head. Power punches to the head, power punches to the body. And if you look at jabs, Golovkin landed 107 jabs to Derevyanchenko's 47 and had a more accurate connect rate. Again, this is reminiscent of Golovkin's fights with Canelo with Jacobs. Jabs matter. Jabs matter. And Golovkin dominated, more than doubled up the jab work. So that matters. Now, body work matters too. And a lot of you out there don't rate body work enough. Derevyanchenko dominated the body punching category. He landed 50 body punches to Golovkin's 22. So he more than doubled up Golovkin's body work. So in that sense, Derevyanchenko won that battle, that part of the punching category. But punches to the head, punches to the head. Gennady Golovkin, they were pretty much even, power punches upstairs. They were even, but Golovkin's punches upstairs were more damaging. Don't take my word for it. Look at Derevyanchenko's face after the fight. The cut didn't even look bad. His cut man did an outstanding job. And by the way, his trainer, Andre Rozier, did an outstanding job as well. His corner was light years better than Jonathan Banks in Golovkin's corner. And uh, I had an instinct when Golovkin first said he was going to work with Jonathan Banks. Some of you guys might remember, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I did not like that matchup. I eased up on it. I you know, gave it a chance, whatever. And now I kind of realize, yeah, that instinct was probably right. I don't think that uh, it's the best fit in the world. Then again, though, He's 37 years old. What's Jonathan Banks going to do? I, I just felt, you know what? Don't teach the guy new tricks. Let him do what he does, but give him better corner advice. I just thought Jonathan Banks' corner advice was poor in this fight. He was not very motivating, and he, he, he's a calming type of personality, which is good for some fighters. They need a calming personality in the corner. But there's some times where you got to light a fire under someone's ass. Emmanuel Stewart was a calming type of presence. But when he needed to, that dude can light a fire under your ass real quick. And he get real nasty with you to get you to step up. He did it to Lennox Lewis. He did it to Vladimir Klitschko. He did it with Jermaine Taylor. Plenty of other fighters. And that's something Jonathan Banks lacks. That was grossly lacking in this fight. Anyway, Derevyanchenko's eyes were almost shut at the end of this fight. So when you look at the punches, the punching categories, and you break it up, it's almost kind of even, man. It's really, really close. But if you just look at who landed more overall punches versus the other guy, then it makes you, it, it can kind of be confusing. 
you got to really break this shit down a little bit. Effective aggression, you could absolutely make the argument Derevyanchenko won that category. It's not as important as punching. Ring generalship, I think that was, you could make an argument for either guy, but you can make a stronger argument probably for Golovkin. Uh, You know what? I'm going to take that back. It's pretty damn even. Pretty damn even. And defense, both guys, neither guy, you know what? Golovkin had the better defense. They both ate a lot of leather. They both took shots. But Golovkin has an underrated ability to catch punches with his forearms and with his gloves and to roll with shots. Where Golovkin's defense was poor in this fight was to the body. I, I felt that Derevyanchenko got down to the body really, really well. But upstairs, I think Golovkin picked off a lot of those shots that Sergio Mora, particularly on the zone commentary crew, was giving him credit for. So um, defense probably better with Golovkin. Close-ass fight. I had it six rounds apiece. Levante early is in the house. Levante, I'm curious how you scored the fight, man. I had it even in terms of rounds. 114-113 for Golovkin. To me, the knockdown was the difference, and I personally felt that this fight was closer than Spence and Porter. I felt Spence clearly beat Porter. Close fight, too, but I thought this fight was closer. I'm curious how, how you scored this fight, Levante, because you're a professional fighter, you do this shit for a living, and you were there ringside. I'm curious how you scored this. Uh, also, I got to talk about zone commentary crew, particularly Sergio Mora. Not the best night. And I like Sergio, you know, but not the best night. He kept talking about Sergey Derevyanchenko fighting adversity because he had been cut. He had been dropped. Yeah. Well, guess what? Golovkin was fighting adversity too. He was getting hurt to the body and he was having to dig down as the older, more worn fighter late in the fight. So they were both fighting through adversity. And I felt that he was really paying attention to what Derevyanchenko was doing, not enough to what Golovkin was doing so Brian Kenny who was part of the broadcast crew he had to kind of pay attention to Golovkin because I think he sensed what I did and he kind of went over and started talking about only what Golovkin did so you basically had Sergio Mora being Derevyanchenko's commentary voice and Brian Kenny being Golovkin's commentary voice they both need to just shut the fuck up and talk about what's happening in the fucking fight objectively you had a great fight of the year candidate just talk about what's happening quit trying to add more to the story this is what i always say sergio mora kept trying to make it about rocky it's like another rocky moment and drevyonchenko got off the canvas and this is the fight of his life and dude just just talk about what you're seeing talk about who's actually landing the punches talk about who's actually doing the better work talk about the nuances that you see as a fighter who's been in there and Give that perspective to casual fans who might not be able to see that. So Levante Early had the same score I had, 114-113. So there you go. And again, guys, he's a professional fighter, does this shit for a living. He doesn't have a horse in the race. He just went there to watch the fight. So, uh, oh, looks like we have breaking news. Are you serious? Tommy Boseo just said Tyrone Spung tested positive for performance-enhancing drugs Usyk fight is in jeopardy. Vlad Valer says the same thing. Valer reports an adverse finding in Tyrone Spung's test. Wow. Holy shit. Well, I guess my phone's going to be ringing a lot tonight. Guys, never a dull moment. I literally called this weekend. 
called the Fight Hotel, the Marriott Marquis, right there by Wintrust Arena. And I told them, yeah, um, Matchroom Boxing booked a bunch of uh, hotel rooms for us. My name is Michael Montero. Am I on the list? Oh, yes, Mr. Montero, you're on the list. Here's your room. I got all my confirmation in. We got our plane ticket hooked up. I know which L I got to take to get over there when we land at Midway. And now this shit happens. So now I don't even know if we're going. This is what the fuck boxing is crazy. (laughs) Andrew Lane says Ukraine having a bad week. Well, look, I mean, yeah, I mean, this isn't on Alexander Usyk. If Tyrone Spong tested positive, that's on him. Oh, man. Sultan Murr says the zone needs a third man, a George Foreman type. Yeah, I prefer this guy named Michael Montero. I think he'd do a good job. I'm just going to throw that in there. Anyway, um, <laughs> oh, I have to talk about Golovkin's legacy a little bit. Because one of you guys were just commenting about this. Let me see if I can go back and find this comment. Because I thought it was good. Um, Oh, man. I'm going to miss it. Shit. Oh, here we go. Yeah, no. SC29 says, It's sad to know that in a few years that boxing will lose Triple G. The man was a great person for the sport. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Real quick, okay? Um, Because I see some people now, and of course, this is what happens on social, saying Golovkin's overrated. You know, he, he, there are people out there who said Drevianchenko won nine rounds to three and all this crazy bullshit. These are the same people that are now going back and saying, oh, I thought Canelo won both fights against Golovkin. You weren't saying that shit two years ago. You and everybody else knows Golovkin won the first fight. I've been very, very um, consistent on this. I feel the second fight was close and could have won either way, just like this fight with Drevianchenko. But you can see the slippage between the first Canelo fight and the second one. Now... Was it physical? Yes. Was it also mental and emotional after being screwed by Adelaide Bird and the establishment in American boxing? Maybe. Personally, from things I've heard Gennady saying, Gail on the chat, you can attest to this as well because you've talked about it as well. Uh, I think a lot of the decline has been mental with Golovkin. I think that, look, let, let, me, let me add this, Okay. The WBA regular title, because a lot of people are saying Golovkin's knockout streak or heavyweight or heavyweight middleweight title defenses, because he had like 20 some odd defenses for a while there. You're saying, oh, that's all bullshit because that was the WBA regular title. And the super title was Felix Sturm. He was the real champion. Guys, number one, how these trolls are giving... legitimacy to the WBA's bullshit when you go into that rhetoric. That's, that's just, you're just, you're making it okay for the WBA to have an interim, regular, and super title in the same fucking weight class when you make those arguments. That's what you're doing. So good job, guys. You're just letting the WBA be okay with 5,000 champions in each division when you have those stupid-ass arguments. But the people saying that forget conveniently forget i think purposely forget that in 2010 yes golovkin won an interim title the wba interim title was bumped up to regular champion and he beat a stiff to get that title and a lot of his defenses around that time in the early 2010s were against stiffs but guess what felix sturm ducked him the guy who had the wba super champ that golovkin wanted to fight that was in the same jurisdiction, same promotion, everything there in Germany, ducked him. 
ducked him. So what do you want Golovkin to do? This dude literally went into legal litigation against his promoter to get out of that promotional situation, left Germany where he had relocated his family to start his career because he was fighting the establishment there and taking it up the ass with no lube. He leaves, comes to America, starts over. In the process he went through in 2013, 2014, 2015, that's the process he was trying to go through in 2010, 2011, 2012. He got fucked in Germany. He comes over here. He finally gets the big prize, the fight with Canelo. After, mind you, trying to get fights with Sergio Martinez, Miguel Cotto, Canelo. Cotto paid him half a million dollars to not fight. Okay? Canelo dumped the WBC title, the most prized title for any Mexican fighter. Threw that shit in the trash. It ruined his relationship with Mauricio Suleiman for a couple years because he didn't want to fight Golovkin. This dude was ducked and avoided by everybody during that time. He finally builds himself back up for a second time as a pro. And then he feels, and most people agree, that Adelaide Bird and the establishment authorities in boxing fucked him in that first fight. And because of that, he is now without... On, officially without a signature victory in his career. And he's not going to get it. He's passed his best. Does he have one more great performance left in him if a third fight happens with Canelo? It's possible. But by rights, this guy should have a win over Canelo on his resume. At least he'd have that to walk away into the sunset with. But when that happened, when he did everything he did, uprooted his family again, Okay, left Germany, come to America, did all the promotional stuff that 95% of fighters don't do anymore, at least in America, did favors, was going around, big drama show, you know, all this stuff, right? Goodfellow Productions saying he should have fought Ward. That is another busted ass talking point from detractors. Dude, I, I could do an hour long video trying to break that down. Andre Ward was in litigation from 2013 to 2015. That's when Golovkin was trying to build himself up. Ward didn't fight at super middleweight after 2013. When he came back in 2015, he was a light heavyweight and could not get back down to super middleweight. A fight between Golovkin and Ward was never going to happen. Okay? At super middleweight. Wasn't going to happen. There was never any talks about a fight from either side. Andre Ward's side never reached out to Golovkin. Golovkin's side never reached out to Andre Ward. That is such a fucked up talking point that people keep pushing as a fact. And the dude wasn't even a super middleweight no more. I just For some reason, people just dislike this guy. He's become a divisive figure in the sport. Yes, Goodfellas, he is. I mean, look, I'm not going to call Andre Ward a liar. Goodfellas, Pulp Fiction says Andre Ward's a liar then. I'm not going to call him a liar, but he's conflating timelines and, and uh, statements on purpose because there's an agenda there. And Andre Ward is a guy that doesn't honor contracts, not the most honest guy when you get right down to it sometimes. I think he's doing a fabulous job as a commentator at ESPN, but... I, you know, again, there's a lot of things I know about that dude. The goody two-shoes, Jesus freak stuff. Doesn't always back that up with some of his business moves. Okay, so I just had to talk about that. Because 
the rhetoric now with Golovkin, because look, at some point, you know, he's going to fight Canelo a third time, or it's going to be an Andre or somebody like that. And he's going to lose and he's going to lose decisively. He's on the way down. This is what happens to every fighter that continues to fight the best fighters well past their due date. I think Golovkin is half checked out mentally. I think he's been talking about promoting life after boxing. When I saw him a couple weeks ago in LA, he did seem relaxed and jovial more so than he has been recently, but he did talk a lot about life after boxing. So I think he's halfway there mentally. And I think that's part of it as well. So um, look, what's next for them? I think they're going to fight that. The Polish fighter, again, I can't remember his name, but that is, um, I think that's uh, probably the next move for them because he's the mandatory. And then maybe it is a rematch with Sergei Drevinchenko. Maybe it's a fight with Ryota Murata. Maybe they delay the, the, the third fight with Canelo. I don't know if Canelo wants it. We'll see what happens. SC29 asks, will DAZN approve that though? Yes, they will approve it. Uh, I think they'll approve it because, yes, his name is Camille Zerameta. That is the uh, mandatory fighter from Poland. He's a mandatory. Golovkin has to fight him. So um, I think what I think DAZN would be fine with Golovkin fighting him maybe in February, but then, you know, maybe it's a rematch against Drevianchenko. Go right back to New York City. Go right back to the Garden. It did, they did a pretty good crowd for that. They do a good crowd in a rematch. Make the undercard better. You know, have a stronger undercard because this, let's face it, you know, I, it wasn't all their fault, but the undercard wasn't the best. Get a good co-feature on there. And maybe late in the year, you fight Ryota Murata. If the third fight doesn't happen with Canelo, it doesn't happen. If it does and they want to go for the money, to me, that's almost a cash out at this point. That's just the way it feels to me. Uh, Sports Talk with Troy asks, where does the WBO champion Demetrius Andrade fit in? Look, I've been saying the same thing about Andrade forever. He has to just get busy and fight people. Just get in the ring and fight people, dude. I, you know, I'd love, would I love to see like De- Sergey Drevyanchenko versus Demetrius Andrade or something if he doesn't want to rematch Golovkin? Sure. Would I like to see Golovkin against him? Sure. Are those makeable fights that they make business sense for everybody involved? I don't know about that. Uh, right now, Andre has to create demand, but he feels very entitled and he just kind of wants to sit around and wait for the big fight to happen. Maybe at some point it will happen, but I told you where Golovkin's going to go. They're going to go to Murata and 60,000 at the Tokyo Dome and do you know, a, a massive eight-figure payday before they're going to fight Demetrius Andre in front of 20 people in Providence. That's, that's just the reality of it, guys. And guess what? Golovkin's kind of earned that at this stage of his career. I didn't give Miguel Cotto and Sergio Martinez too much shit for avoiding Golovkin at the stage of the career that they were at. Cotto decided to go for the money against Canelo rather than fight Golovkin. I understood that. At that point in his career, he had kind of earned that right. So that's kind of where Golovkin's at. They're going to go in that direction before Demetrius Andre. By the way, Derevyanchenko took a fucking beating against Golovkin. Is he ever going to be the same? He fought bravely and looked great. But is he going to be able to do... That was the best Sergei Derevyanchenko you're going to get. Is he going to be able to do that in a rematch with Golovkin? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure Golovkin doesn't beat Derevyanchenko in a rematch more decisively based on what I saw. 
Jack Alter asks, Prime Derevyanchenko versus Prime Golovkin. Well, that's, that's, that's pretty easy to answer. He blows through a Prime Derevyanchenko and stops him late. That's the reality. And guys, Gail could talk about this. I'm sorry, Gail. I haven't seen all your messages. The, the chat's going so quick tonight. But um, she was there with me as part of the greater Los Angeles area um, media that was watching Golovkin come up around that time. And that dude was special. I've seen tons of fighters, hundreds of fighters. I've, been, I've spent thousands of hours in gyms and at fights. That dude was special. That guy that we saw coming up the ranks again, rebuilding himself early on in America, that's not the same guy we have anymore. It's just not. He's, he's, he's past it, dude. Gail says, Michael, FYI, Eddie Hearn has confirmed Spong's dirty Vada test as of 40 minutes ago. God damn it, Tyrone Spong. If this Chicago trip gets fucked because of you, I'm going to be really pissed off. Man, I'm going to be really pissed off because this was going to be a good trip with a lot of good interviews. And I wanted to get around Alexander Usyk. Uh, Lomachenko is probably going to be there. And I was going to get all kinds of great interviews for you guys. If Tyrone Spong just effed that up for us, I'm going to be pretty pissed off. Okay, SE29 is asking, will Triple G go back to Abel Sanchez? Nope, that shit ain't happening. I don't see it. Don't see it. Marshall Ministry does make a good point. He says, Andre Triple G looks better now with Golovkin declining. It makes more sense. Yeah, I see what you're saying with that. Um, For Eddie Hearn, yeah, if he wants to build up Andre, I, I think that I get that. Because guess what? Golovkin three years ago destroys Demetrius Andre. He just plowed through him. It would look somewhat like the Daniel Jacobs fight. The difference is Daniel Jacobs is a lot more proven than Andre. We don't know what's going to happen to Andre when he gets popped and has to show us something, when he gets hit with a hard shot. Uh, We just don't know because he's never been in there with a really good fighter who could crack. But at this point, man, guys, that fight between him and Golovkin, that's 50-50 right now. That's 50-50. SE29 says Andre is chinny. Yeah, well, he was chinny at 154 against... Not very hard punchers. So at 160 against a hard puncher, you got to wonder how it holds up. However, he'd see all the punches coming from this version of Golovkin. Two years ago, three years ago, he doesn't see those punches. Golovkin hide his, you know, hit his punches better back then, and I think gets through and probably stops him. SC29 says Triple G needs to live Big Bear. I agree with you. I've been saying that on Twitter. I've been saying it here on my show. Twitter tough guys want to act like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an idiot for suggesting that. Now, is that to blame for his lackluster performance against Derevyanchenko or his struggling with Canelo in the rematch? No. I think it contributed to it, but I think age is the biggest factor. <laughs> Robert Palmer talking shit about Golovkin. Dude, I don't know. People like you, I don't know why you hate Golovkin so much. I just don't understand. I just don't understand why you can't enjoy seeing a fighter like this uh, come through that you're not going to see again in a while. And look, if the demographics were different between Canelo Golovkin, if 
if the Ukrainian and Russian and Eastern European bloc fighters were the dominant power players in boxing, he would have got the nod both times over Canelo. But the Mexican, Mexican-American, particularly WBC, they're the most influential sanctioning body. Uh, and, you know, they, they're the power brokers right now in the sport. The American boxing establishment, you know, uh, look, if a Russian dude's going up against an American, we saw what happened with Kovalev and Ward in their first fight in Vegas. You got a Kazakhstan fighter, and I get it, guys. Gennady's from Kazakhstan. His grandmother is Korean, but his father's Russian. I believe he married a Russian. He speaks Russian. He pretty much identifies as an Eastern European Caucasian guy. I've heard him talk like that before. So it's not that he, he's disrespecting his full heritage. I'm just saying that's kind of where he kind of represents that Eastern European block of fighters. Him going up against a Mexican guy in Vegas, Mexican star is going to get the decision. That's where we're at. But guys like Kovalev, Golovkin, Lomachenko now, Usyk now, and others coming up the ranks, starting to pave the way for guys over the next 10, 20 years. I'm telling you, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you're going to see a Russian guy fighting an American in Las Vegas, and the Russian's going to get the decision. You're going to see an Uzbeki fighter fighting a Mexican in Las Vegas, and the Uzbeki's going to get the decision. That's where we're going to be in 20 years because of guys like the Klitschko's, uh, Golovkin, all these other guys paving the way, getting screwed sometimes along the way, but they're paving the way. It's the way it works in boxing. Every, the, new, the new group, the new immigrant group coming through paves the way in boxing and then trickles out into other sports. You're going to see Kazakh Major League Baseball players 20 years from now. You're going to see Russian, Ukrainian dudes in the NFL 20 years from now. They always start <clears throat> in boxing and then go out into other sports. It's happened for over a century in this country. Let's see. SC29 asks, Mike, have you seen anything odd with the judges before or after a fight? Yeah, I've seen judges struggle to read pieces of paper. I've seen guys in, in boardrooms and stuff holding pieces of paper like this, lifting their glasses up, putting them back. They can't read fucking papers six inches from their face, and then they go out and judge a fight. I've seen that plenty of times. <clears throat> All right. Maybe one more question, and then we're going to bounce up out of here. Losing my voice. So much talking. I need a co-host. I need a co-host here. Uh, uh, I see a few of you guys talking about... Um, well, first, John Uden makes a good comment. Mike, they should start limiting the amount of people on stage for the weigh-ins. I completely agree. The problem is now, dude, the weigh-ins are part of the show. They stream them. They, they televise them. And the big crowds up on stage makes it look exciting. But I agree with you. It should just be the fighters, chief second, and commission people. No promoter, no Mauricio Suleiman sanctioning body people, but they want to be up there, dude. They want to be in the picture. They want to be in the videos. I agree with you. They shouldn't be up there, but they, they will be. Um, <clears throat> real quick, before I bounce, a couple of you guys, Jack says, Jack Alter is the co-host. <laughs> I need a live co-host that I can speak with because I'm losing my damn voice every week. Um, 
I wanted to speak to Gennady Golovkin being an all-time great middleweight in this debate that goes back and forth. Now, if you talk to Golovkin fans, they say he's the new Marvin Hagler. If you talk to Golovkin detractors, they say that he's a bag of shit in, you know, Julio Cesar, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. is better than him. The truth is in the middle. I think Golovkin has proved enough, and given his amateur pedigree, which does matter, and his run in boxing as a pro, I feel he beat Canelo the first time around. I feel he should have a win over Canelo, who will go down as a Hall of Famer, who will go down as an all-time great Mexican, who will win titles probably at 68 and probably even at 75 at one point. Um, he should have a win over him, Jacobs, Derevyanchenko, and other quality middleweights. Golovkin's in the top 10. I struggle to find 10 middleweights from the past that I would favor to beat Golovkin. Now, I'm not talking about guys who made a pit stop at middleweight on their way to light heavyweight or whatever. I'm talking about your your all-time great middleweight champions, like a prime Bernard Hopkins. Golovkin beats him. A prime Golovkin beats a prime Bernard Hopkins. I'd favor, I think Carlos Monzon and Marvin Hagler have done more than Golovkin. Now, some of that wasn't Golovkin's fault. Wasn't his fault. Some of it was. Golovkin did chase the money, did go after Canelo, did do the deal with the devil and go fight in Vegas and didn't protect himself. And he got paid a lot of money. He's made over $100 million in this sport, but it cost him a couple years of his prime going after Canelo. And it cost him getting ripped off. So officially in the books, he has a draw and a loss against Canelo, right? And that's the way it goes down in the books. Now, people who understand the sport feel that he won the first fight, fine. But casuals, 20 years from now, looking at his record on BoxRec, will see draw, loss to Canelo. In that time, he could have just stacked up defenses against other dudes. So anyway, some of it is Golovkin's fault. A lot of it's not. He can't change the color of his skin. He can't change the, the country he was born in. And some of those things are just always going to be held against him by people with agendas. It's just how it is. And by the way, this shit goes in all directions, okay? It goes for fighters of every ethnicity and walk of life. It's not just for guys from Eastern Europe. Um, But I would absolutely say, based on his career of work in the sport, that Gennady Golovkin is in the top 10 all-time great middleweights. Is he up there with Hagler and Monzon? No, he's just not. And guys... he, he's not going to be able to now. It's over. That's done. He, he can't go on a run and beat, let's say, an Andre to Charlo, Canelo, beat all these guys and uh, put himself in that category. It's too late. It's not going to happen. So enjoy what you got with Canelo, or, I'm sorry, Golovkin now and realize that this is going to be over pretty soon. Enjoy it while it's here. Enjoy the big drama show. And he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer when he retires. He's already secured Hall of Fame credentials, in my opinion. And he's a top 10 middleweight. And that's it. And don't worry about all the haters and all. People are going to have, like, someone, I can't even see what your name was on the chat, calling uh, Golovka an HBO hype job. That's just ignorant, prejudiced bullshit. You're just an idiot for saying that. And you obviously don't know the sport because he's not, okay? Uh, but, Jack, I see you in the comments because I know you're Triple G's number one fan. I know you're upset right now. Dude, everyone gets old. Father time. Does Golovkin have one more great performance left in him? 
Probably. You're going to see it maybe in the Derevyanchenko rematch. Maybe it's against Murata. Maybe he gives Canelo a hard push in their third fight. But, dude, he's not going to go on a run and stop all these dudes. It just, that's, that's done. That ship has sailed, okay? I was around for the prime. I consider myself lucky to say that. I watched this guy work out in the gym. I'm talking about, here's the ropes, here's Golovkin. He even invited me in the ring at one point to embarrass me. <laughs> Funny story. But um, you know what I'm saying? He, he's, yeah, Robert Palmer saying Triple G was a hype job. Dude, you have an agenda. I mean, that's just ignorant. And you should know better, Rob, because you actually do know a little bit about boxing. Not as much as you claim, but you do know a little bit. Gail Falkenthal says, Michael Hearn has submitted replacement opponents to the Illinois State Athletic Commission. It's now in their hands. Any ideas who it might be? I know before this fight that they reached out to Povetkin, Michael Hunter, and some other guys. Um, it's definitely not going to be Povetkin because they have plans for him um, early next year. I'd love for it to be Michael Hunter. It's probably not going to be anybody on that level, though, Gail. It's probably going to be somebody at the level of Tyrone Spong. I hope I'm proven wrong, but damn. That sucks. That just sucks. Oh, I got You know what? I got to go ahead and tag and bag this episode, guys, because I got to get on the phone and figure out what the hell is happening this weekend in Chicago. I got to find out if I'm still going. All right, guys, let's wrap this up, man. Thank you very, very much for watching. Remember, please share this video. I appreciate it, guys. I'll see you at the fights, all right? <laughs>